Pisa, Deacon Deacon, Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. Good morning, Father. Uh, please get me out of the way that your truths would be lifted up and you would be glorified. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, I'll try not to let that joke distract me. No, okay, that was a good joke. It was tasteful. Okay, happy new year, right? It's a new year. <laughs> How many of you consider new year just another day? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Because I'm going to challenge you to think of the new year as opportunities. Every day is an opportunity to hit the reset button. For Christians, every day is that opportunity. Because if you listen to the devil and if you listen to your sinful condition, your sin is your excuse to not change. Right? Well, why should I live for God today? I blew it yesterday. So every day is the day to hit the reset button. Right? So, but we're going to get into some things. There's a lot of exciting things going on. And this sermon series that we're going into is called the Be Responsible series. And it's all based off... Uh, for me, it really, it's a selfish series. I wanted to get a grip on this particular information and how does God respond to it. You see, it all started back with the Syrian refugees, right? Well, what does that have to do with anything? On Facebook, when you talk with other pastors and whatnot, there's a debate going on. Should you let uh, Syrian refugees who are Muslim, and that, that means there is, they're Islamic, which means there's a core group of them that would have no problem blowing themselves up with you and your children at the mall. You know, it's just like letting in people with sicknesses. Do you let in a plague to take care of them? So the debate is, is it loving to bring in these, at least a percentage of these people are dangerous? Is it loving to let them in or is it loving to take care of them where they are? It's not an issue of how to, lo of to love them. It's an issue of what does it look like? to love them. So that led to other issues where even at, and we were just talking about this, even at Liberty University, the, the, the pres uh, president or principal, whatever he is, the president suggested to the students to learn how to handle a gun. Okay, and I'm just being ambiguous on purpose, but he was pretty explicit. Christians should know how to manage a weapon. So that brought up a whole bunch of discussion points, and John Piper wrote this big article about how Christians, in essence, should be pacifists. And then J.D. Hall, who's a minister out of uh, the Midwest, said no, and he actually wears his firearm to church. He's the pastor, right? And it's like, well... Well, well, what's going on here? So I think it's at some point we're going to come back to firearms and the Christian. That's not today's sermon because I think that's a subset of getting a handle of what we're going to talk about today, which is the issue of being responsible. And so when you come to the issue of being responsible, that, keep, that brings up a whole bunch of other levels of confusion. You see, over the last couple, I don't know, century even, the American society has been trying to be trained to be socialistic, right? Fairness and equality for all when it comes to material possession. It's not about justice. It's about that everybody gets a portion of bread at no matter the cost. So Kelly in the back is building a brand new business, breaking new ground. If he succeeds, I believe he'll succeed, and starts making money, making food, you know, if the government had his ways, 
he only gets one small portion of his own company and the rest of it must be given to the people who didn't work to make it. That's the government's mindset. It just is. Now that's, that's breaking the Ten Commandments. That's stealing. Right off the bat, that's stealing. So I can say from the pulpit, a third party agency shouldn't come into any of you trying to build a business and, and say, well, you, have to, you are forced to pay that employee X amount of dollars. That's socialism. But it's like, yeah, but minimum wage, right? Uh, we'll go into that. We'll talk about those things. Because these are all biblical issues. These are all moral issues. But I want, I'm going to bring it home very, um, with God's help. So the issue is keep calm and be responsible. In this new year, let's think about um, how we're going to repent in Christ, how we're going to renew. And why I said new year, new you, is I'm pulling this right out of Romans chapter 12. And basically, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a process. All right? A lot of times we give unexpected, um, uh, all right, we, we, um, unexpected expectation. We, we, we expect new baby Christians to act like mature Christians when, when sanctification is a process that takes our whole life to grow up. We don't expect a little baby to drive a car, right? And we don't expect younger Christians to act like mature Christians. I'm not referring to physical age. I'm talking about spiritual growth. And it's all about being renewed, okay? We're supposed to grow up in Jesus, so the issue we're going to talk about is do not worry versus be responsible. <clears throat> worry versus responsibility. Take the concept of being responsible and saying, no, that's an American culture thing, not a biblical thing. Don't, don't confuse the American culture. Like, don't tell me from the Constitution you have the right to own a gun. Find it in the Bible that you have a right to own a gun. And there is a path for that. I'm not talking about it today. But... The idea is, why are you separating the American culture from biblical Christianity if there is no conflict? But the issue is, the battle here that I saw as a conflict is, what's the difference between being responsible or not worrying about your food, your clothing, and getting a job? Or be, you know, going out there and making sure the money's coming in? Where's the conflict in that? Is there a biblical conflict with that? So first, here's, this really amused me. Just yesterday on Twitter, there's a hashtag that became very popular called Resist Capitalism. And I thought that was really amusing because their younger people are like, capitalism is making people bad. 1% of America is rich and everyone else is poor. In the world, everyone in this room is in the 1% when you look at the world economy. All right? You're all going to go to your homes with nice big flat TVs, a warm house, you got abundance of food, you drove here in a car, everyone in this room is 1%, so I don't want to hear. And those poor college students who, you know, who would say resist capitalism, they're in the 1%. How did they just pay for four years of college? So some people were, tw for, were tweeting, you know, so capitalism makes people poor and it's, the, it's making victims. And then other people were, tw were tweeting, hmm, you know, it's, they say, resist capitalism as you sit there on your iPhone sipping a Starbucks, p 
posting resist capitalism, right? <laughs> capitalism made your phone. Capitalism made the Starbucks that you're enjoying. Capitalism is the clothes that you're wearing and the house that you're living in and the chair that you're sitting on and the glasses and the corrective lenses that you have. It's all capitalism, <laughs> right? But that's the short-sightedness of it. So, and then I thought this was an amusing, this was a, a, someone's response to resist capitalism. Socialism, where you wait on bread lines. Capitalism, where bread lines wait on you. And that's a factory making bread to provide food for thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And in the meantime, providing jobs for the workers and making the ingenuity, the person who invented that, making them wealthy. Is there any sin in that? Is there any evil in that? No. That's the blessings of God. However, the society, what I'm about to share with you, is it should, you should already be feeling, how can he even dare be preaching this from the pulpit? You know. So let's go into this. But I just want to make out this point. When a government enables a people to be irresponsible, it's called socialism. Okay? If you're not responsible for your own food, your own provision, your own clothes, your own house, if you're not responsible for it and you're having someone else be responsible for it, one, that's stealing on your part, and two, that's a government stealing your freedom. Freedom and responsibility go together. All right, so now we're going to unpack this biblically. And we're going to go right to Matthew 6, which is the excuse verse for people who, who um, they get this maligned sometimes. They get this wrong. So we're going to unpack this. Matthew chapter 6, 25 and on. Jesus is given the sermon about don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothing. You, God knows you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be get added unto you as well. So what does that mean? I... I Christians have the tendency to interpret that as don't work. They, they use it as their excuse to make up for their shortcomings, you know, and not be responsible. But that's not what this text is saying. So let's read this together and look at this carefully. Matthew 6, 25 through 28, and I'm going to read more below. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, or, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Okay, Jesus goes on in 29, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, referring to the lilies. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, if I were to pause right there, this would make a great Joel Olstein sermon. Because then he would spin off and say, Get more faith, get more faith, and all the blessings of heaven will shower down on you. That is not what I'm saying. And I don't believe that it is all what Jesus is saying. Okay, let's uh, keep going. Let's unpack this. Therefore, 
When they see the word therefore, it's there for a reason. So you want to know what therefore is there for. Got it? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, again, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, is he saying don't plan Is he saying don't work? He's saying don't be anxious, don't worry. And I highlighted every time he said don't be anxious. Now let's take a better look at that word. Anxious or worry. Anxious means to be troubled with cares. The verb worry or worrying is to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts. Fretting. Right? Jesus is saying, don't go, oh no, it's morning. What am I going to eat for breakfast? (laughs) Right? That doesn't help anything. There's a practical side to that. Anxiousness, full of mental distress or uneasiness because of fear of danger or misfortune. Greatly worried or saliciousness. All right? Salicious. There's nothing positive about the word um, anxious or worrying. It's, it's, a very, it's a sinful condition. I'm going to point out, I'll do it right now, to worry or to be anxious about things is sin. And there's a reason for it. Proverbs 12.25 tells us, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. There's two reasons why Jesus specifically said, don't worry. The first reason is it affects your work, it affects your relationships badly. If you're worried and anxious, if, if I've got a ton of work to do at home and I'm working at home, like last week the, the wife and kids were home because it was vacation. I'm still working. I work from home. So if they're in the living room playing video games and coming up and asking me things when I'm trying to focus, you know what that does to my stress level? Right? And am I, Now, am I going to be pleasant and nice to my kids? If I catch myself, I won't be. Right? If I don't, oh, let me work. Blah, 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 right? Now there's work and anxiety going on. Now I'm not effective in the work because I'm stressed out what's going on over there. And then I can't talk to my kids, right, because I'm stressed out about my work. And stress isn't helping anything. So from personal self, not selfish level, but a, it, anxiety, stress, worry doesn't help anything. It hurts you. It hurts the ones you love. It is a sin and it has sinful ramifications to everybody around you, including your health. Right? What, think of all the people who have health issues due to depression, and depression's never the core thing. Depression is a, fr- is a fruit of the root of some sort of sin or anxiety. Okay? It is overall bad. It's not going to help you get ahead in life in any way. And the bigger reason, uh, Jesus didn't say do not work, he said do not worry. Because when we worry, we are demonstrating we are not trusting in God to provide. Right? 
And that's the big issue. And we're going to talk about the difference between trusting in God to provide and working because there's no conflict there, and we'll talk about that. But Psalms 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, you know who said this? King David. Did King David have chariots and horses? He had an undefeatable army. But he didn't put his trust in his army. He put his trust that God would whip up on his enemies and crush them. But did that mean he just sat there? Did that mean he didn't have an army? That he didn't have the equipment? That he wasn't trained? He wasn't prepared? Didn't mean that at all. He had all that. He was a king. He was the most successful king. He was conquering armies all year long. He took winter breaks. They took their breaks to get in the harvest. And then they'd go to war. Kings went to war in season. All right? But his trust of the victory was in the Lord. Okay? There's no conflict there. When we are... Sitting at home worrying, not working. One, we're not trusting God. And two, we're not obeying God. Because you'll see God commands us to get off our high knees and get out there and make stuff happen. So let's talk about Benjamin Franklin here for a second because there's confusion here. I remember as a young person, my parents quoting this. God helps those who help themselves. And I thought it was a Bible verse because it sounds kind of religious, doesn't it? It sounds like a proverb of truth. And it's not a Bible verse. It's been popularized by Ben Franklin, but its truth is older than Ben Franklin. Now, concerning salvation, this is absolutely not true. This is evil. Never tell someone, yeah, you just, just, you know, you keep working at it and God will let you into heaven. That's horrible. That's what the rest of the world says. Get enough good and you'll get to heaven. That's horrible. This does not apply to how a person gets to heaven. Matter of fact, God God saves evil, stinky, dead people. It's 100% work of God. Okay? Humans don't want God unless God can clean them up, unless God does the initial work. Alright? But concerning salvation, this is absolutely untrue. However, concerning being responsible... This is very biblical, and um, I believe it is, concerning one's daily needs, food, clothing, and shelter. Um, This truth, I believe, falls into what's called God's general grace. God's general grace is this church is not full of people because they're still sleeping in, because they don't care. Not saying the folks who aren't here because they're sick or whatever. I'm not saying our folk who are missing. I'm saying the folk in general out there who just don't care about God. That God never even comes into their mind Sunday morning. But they got a job, they got a house, they got cars, they got their flat screen TVs, they've got all the the comforts, creature comforts, and they're gonna be okay. They're not stressing, they're living a good life, they just hate God. And someone who rejects God in indifference, that's a God-hater. We can call it that. Matthew 5.45 talks about God's blessing even the lost, the, the hateful. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now this rain and sunshine, that's an a- agricultural statement meaning blessings. 
right? We're not saying, oh, it's raining on us. What a poopy day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's blessing them with sustenance. He's giving them the things they need to grow their crops, right? And on the just and unjust, they're going to be fed. This is why there are many wealthy and affluent God-haters. Because the law of gravity works for the person, for the atheist, as well as it does for the Christian. It's still God's law. Does that make sense? Yes. But uh-oh, big, big words. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is, um, Paul really comes down on Christians in the small churches and how they're to behave. And this is where we get the command to work. All right? And I'm going to show you a bunch of them. Uh, uh, but this is the biggest one. So, you know, take a brain breather. Here go like this. Okay. Because I'm going to give you some Bible verses here. Okay? So hold on. It says in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, Now we command you. Is this an option? Is this a suggestion? Is this a, if you do this, you'll be better in your life. Is this one of those, just going to believe, just going to have faith, call on God. Is this one of those, this is a command, which means if you, now you're going to hear something that Jesus says with much given, much is required. If you hear this and you walk out of here and go, erase, I don't give a rip what Jeff just said, you sin. Now you're telling God, all right, so be careful. Especially if you see, now we command you. That is no subtle hint. Brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. His day job, this was Paul writing, his day job is full-time ministry. Yet he found time to be a tent maker, brought his own wallet of money so that when he'd go to that next town to preach, he would buy the bread and not just go visit everyone's home for dinner. He is going way out of his way to demonstrate being responsible. Now, do you think, is he worrying, is he breaking the, the commandment of chapter 6 of Jesus saying, don't worry about your food? Is he breaking that law by working so hard night and day and toiling and giving the gospel? No. So clearly, there's no conflict in the scriptures. Let's look at this. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Amen. So if you do follow Twitter or Facebook, and you see the resist capitalism, go ahead and just cut and paste that verse and let God speak for himself. All right? How is that the opposite of socialism? Isn't that... Let, let's hear the president even a dare attempt to speak that. Could you imagine him saying that? What would happen if he actually quoted scripture? I mean, isn't that the opposite now, we, as Christians, we might say, well, isn't it loving to 
help the poor. It depends on how you unpack the word help. Right? What are we helping the poor to do? Stay poor? That's socialism. What if we help the poor and equip them to become something of themselves? An de independent provider. That's helping, isn't it? That is so un-American there, Jesus. How dare you? Verse 11, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not, as bu not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons... Uh-oh, there it is again. <laughs> we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think they're claiming a high authority? Maybe the king of the universe? They're claiming authority in the king of the universe, Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. What? That is so un-American. How dare you? How dare you imply it? That's not loving your neighbor. That's not loving the lost, loving the poor. That's not loving the Syrian refugees. Uh, I think it is. I don't see a conflict there at all. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Right? Now, just a side note, for a Christian, we're not doing good to go to heaven. Right? We're not on that scale of righteousness. We're doing good because we're already going to heaven. How can you not respond to the one who saved you from hell, but by loving him and obeying him? Right? If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Oh, but don't judge! Right? I can see the tweets already. Stop judging! But this says, if anyone does not obey the command to work, we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. Shame? Christians are allowed to use shame? Yes. Because shame under the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit helps a person repent and become more like Christ. Shame is good when the Holy Spirit's working. Alright? Do not regard him as an enemy, but even if we did regard him as an enemy, what does God tell us to do to our enemies? Love them and pray for them. But in this case, don't regard him as an enemy. Warn him as a brother. Dude, I see you're being a lazy slacker. It's time to get to work. Right? 1 Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, this is a tough one, and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. Whoa! Right? As a Christian, as a Christian, someone says, I believe what Jesus says in the Bible, I obey what Jesus says in the Bible. You do not want to be anywhere near this verse when it, you know, as in looking like it. We want to be working our tails off and effectively working because that's what God's commanded us to do. 1 Thessalonians 4 11, 12. And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Aspire means to strive earnestly, to make one's aim. Now, 
just so you know, there's retired men here, there's men challenged, you know, with, you got, you're on disability, that's different because you're providing. That's the idea, you're providing for your family, it's legal, it's ethical, it's godly. That's not what we're talking about here, all right? I'm talking about, there's a couple apartment complexes, we all know what I'm talking about now, right? They're not working, but somehow they've got all this stuff coming and they don't need to work for nothing. And they'll still get food, electricity, heat, clothing, TV, and all the vices they can enjoy. Of, you know, they can go down and get even at the dollar store. They can get all the liquor they want, right? And spend their money and big giant bags of dog food. Somehow they can spend their money on that. But they can't find a way to work See, that's, that's sin. That's very bad sin. Alright? So, we're to aspire to live quietly and to mind our own affairs. That doesn't mean, hey, mind your business. Don't come telling me what to do. That's not what that means. It means manage what God gave you well. Manage it well. That's what it means. Mind your affairs. Work with your hands. Stay busy. Right? None of that is in conflict with what Jesus says. A matter of fact, if we do this, we are trusting in God and we're not worrying. Do you understand? That's how they fit together perfectly. There's no conflict there. Some pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? That goes in and kicks in a room, doesn't it? So that you may, and here's why, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Whoa, that's in the scriptures? Is that, has anyone heard of the prosperity preachers teaching this? Has this come up at all? Okay, a Christian is synonymous with being responsible. That's heavy thoughts, isn't it? And it's exciting. So, to think about it, God's equipping us with the things we need to get up, to get out there, to go. Alright? In the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be responsible in a lot of areas. We just talked about the, the economically, you know, work ethic, so to speak, and, and what it means to, to trust in Christ while we work. But this covers a lot of areas. For men, with, with families, you've got to provide, you've got to protect, right? And you've got to love your neighbor. Men, we've got the, you know, we've got a very, very high call. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Well, Jesus sacrificed his life for the church. That's, that's a high call. And I'm a sinner. Jesus was sinless, all right? But we're called to lay down our lives for our family and be that provider. So this issue of being responsible as Christian covers a lot, a lot of stuff. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. What does it mean to manage your family and then be part of a local ministry? What does it mean to manage your family and love your neighbor and all those things? And we're going to get into the very practical aspects of them. But I hope one thing you get for sure out of today is the only way you're not worrying about your food and clothing is that you are working. And that doesn't mean that the retired needs to go back to work. That's not what I'm saying. Because you've already, you've managed well. There's plenty of verses in scripture about how to manage your wealth. 
There's plenty that are practical and true. And if you've managed your wealth in a way that you can kick back and the money's still coming, then you get up and you do a dance and you praise the Lord and have a party. Right? Because there's nothing sinful in that. Right? We're getting ready to have communion at this point. I'm changing. We're to obey Jesus. We don't do this so that we're going to heaven. This that we're remembering how God paid the price so that you and I can go to heaven even though we stink. That's the body and the blood that was paid on your behalf for your sin before you did it, when you're doing it, and what you're going to do next week has already been paid for. It had to all be paid for, else you'd never make it. That's I'd never make it. That's what communion is. And we do this in celebration. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakandeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakandeacon.com. Truth is here.